say, ah, dirtbag. This is Kid Schreiner, the voice of the Green Arrow. This is George Newbern, the voice of Superman. You are listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam. Streaming at DCAUReview.com and on your favorite podcast app. Now I need to go fight some crime. Welcome, everyone, to episode 207 of the DCAU Review. I am Liam, and with me, as he always is, is Cal. Cal, we are back with yet another character spotlight episode to finish out April. And uh, this time, we aren't necessarily focusing on one singular character, although one character will probably dominate our conversation today. But we are we are looking at a, a whole host of, uh, of characters from the DCAU. That is correct, Liam. We figured for our latest spotlight episode, we would go way deep into the far reaches of space. You know, the the new frontier, if you will. Uh, that's right. We're talking about space cops. Oh wait, that's not what they're called. It's it's the it's a far more catchy name, the Green Lantern Corps, and of course, highlighting and zeroing in on the DCAU's most prominent and likely popular, dare I say, Green Lantern, that being John Stewart. So we're aptly calling this episode, this DCAU Spotlight episode, John Stewart and the Green Lantern Corps, Volume One. That is right, Cal. So we will be looking at appearances from not only Jon Stewart, but we'll also talk briefly about Kyle Rayner, the first Green Lantern to appear in the DCAU, as well as some of the other sort of supporting characters that show up. Uh, And we will be going all the way up through the end of the first season of Justice League. So uh, we'll kick it off here. We'll, we'll, we will make note here, uh, John Stewart, uh, his first appearance in the comics was, of course, in Green Lantern number 87, uh, which was uh, by Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, and Dick Giordano, a huge, uh, huge important character. The character just celebrated its 50th anniversary last year, so uh, uh, a character that's absolutely had some staying power there. And then uh, as we get uh, right before we start talking about the first Green Lantern appearance in Superman, the animated series actually is where they debuted. We will mention that Kyle Rayner uh, first appeared in Green Lantern volume three, number 48 by uh, Ron Mars, Bill Willingham, Rome- Romeo Tangal, Robert Campanella, and Anthony Tolan. And uh, speaking of Kyle Rayner, we will start here. As mentioned, Cal, our first episode of any of our DCAU shows that featured a Green Lantern is the Superman the Animated Series episode in Brightest Day. And we get the origin story of one Kyle Rayner as he finds the ring, fights Sinestro, meets Superman, and discovers this greater destiny for himself. That's right. Well, actually, I'm going to challenge that because technically the first Green Lantern that we meet 
is Abin Sur, who, mm. of course, appears in this very same episode, all technicality. So he doesn't, <laughs> uh, it, it's sort of the classic how Jordan Green Lantern origin story adapted for a more modern audience with Kyle Rayner, obviously being the Green Lantern of the comics of that time. Um, I, back, I, just, just briefly touching on both of these Green Lanterns, we'll talk, talk obviously more about Jon Stewart once we get at, past this initial appearance from Kyle Rayner, but Kyle Rayner was definitely the Green Lantern that we followed when we were growing up. He was definitely mm-hmm. prominent. There was a lot more paraphernalia uh, and and uh, and uh, merchandise featuring Kyle Rayner as we were growing up. Kyle holds a a uh, a dear place in my heart and your heart, I know as well. Uh, just we were not how how Jordan was a villain sort of when we were growing up. So uh, especially when we were old enough to sort of appreciate the comics a little more, the parallax character and mm-hmm. uh, his sort of uh, his sort of heel turn, if you will, was was definitely more prominent. So uh, Kyle Rayner was the was the more memorable Green Lantern. So I do remember being excited to uh, to have Kyle show up in Superman, the animated series. And of course that episode introduces him as a artist working at the daily planet. So you have Kyle Rayner's origin stories of him being this artistic mind and you sort of mash it into the Superman, the animated series world. And mm-hmm. then you combine that with the classic Hal Jordan story with Abin Sur coming to earth, crash landing and, uh, and, and in dying and, telling his ring to go find somebody worthy and it happens to to end up in the hands of Kyle Rayner for this episode. That's weird. Someone's been eating Cracker Jacks. been looking all over. Are you okay? Uh, Yeah, sure. Well, you better be. I need drawings of the shuttle, front page spread, cross sections, burn areas, wing damage, the whole enchilada. Rayner, are you with me? Uh, sure, Chief. Front page, enchilada. Then what are you still doing here? artists but this one's a fun one because uh we get a a a little bit of of superman mixed in with the the green lantern storyline i think when we talked about this uh on when we actually reviewed the episode which if you are curious and you would like to hear our entire review of this episode you can always go back in the archives uh, on your favorite podcast app or at dcaureview.com and check out episode 122 to get our full thoughts of that episode liam but uh, what was interesting is you have superman as a supporting cast in a way it felt a little bit like a a classic backdoor pilot is what they call them nowadays where Mm -hmm. something was sort of meant to be uh uh, you know, a pitch perhaps for a future DCAU series, but uh, this is the one and only appearance that we get of Kyle Rayner in the the initial uh, few rounds of the DCAU. Of course, he would make appearances later that we'll talk about in a, in a later volume of Green Lantern coverage here, but it's a fun episode. We get a little bit of battling because Sinestro also makes an appearance, uh, maybe the most famous and classic Green Lantern villain of all time, mm-hmm. makes his appearance here and 
and uh, it's a nice little little fun time here as we learn a little bit about uh, just how closely this Green Lantern follows the comics origins and perhaps uh, previous incarnations in the cartoons like Super Friends or uh, but with the uh, a more modern twist with the the modernized characterization of, of Kyle Rayner and his uh, his creative mind, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, that's a really fun episode to to watch uh, for all the reasons you've mentioned, both for our personal love of the Kyle Rayner character, and it's also it's a great like Green Lantern one hundred and one story. Mm-hmm. If you don't know much about, especially the larger, the whole core, and and all of that, there's there's kind of the, the, the plot centers around Kyle is chosen by the ring and a sort of dealing with discovering his new powers while also having to fend off Sinestro. And meanwhile, Superman is sort of learning about this Green Lantern Corps and is being sort of charged by the the guardians of the universe, who of course sort of endow all the Green Lanterns with their power, uh, you know, sort of explaining to Superman what this, what exactly is going on, this this galactic uh, peacekeeping force that the Green Lanterns are. The Green Lantern Corps exists to promote order and justice throughout the universe. Recruits from all sentient interplanetary species have answered our call. We have entrusted each Green Lantern with a great power. A power which all have used wisely, all but one. Sinestro? When we determined that he was unfit to wield the power, we removed it. But he found another source. Abin Sur was not the first of his victims, and with each ring he destroys, Sinestro gains power. No Green Lantern can defeat him alone. He needs you, Superman. Help him. Help the Green Lantern. He must now take this battery and, and go help Kyle fight off Sinestro, who is sort of this this uh, disgraced former Green Lantern who who lost his green ring and found a yellow one instead. And and you have yeah you have Superman come back and and he's uh, sort of dispatched by Sinestro, and, and then you have Kyle uh, finally embracing his destiny and, and is able to defeat. Uh, Sinestro and and we sort of live in a happy ending there as we as we said we don't get a lot more Kyle in in the DCAU but we do get kind of a nice send off for him here as he's he's still not sure at the end of the episode if he if he's worthy of this if he's a guy he's just he talks about being you know this guy who imagines uh, in colors and forms and thinks about art and all of these abstract concepts all day and he's not sure if he's ready but superman and the guardians assure him that he is the perfect man for the job and we sort of see our heroes fly off uh, back toward earth so it's it's a great little piece there even uh, you know in a bubble even though it is obviously part of this big uh, giant dc animated universe we are grateful for your help but there is much work for you on your whole planet green lantern of sector 2814 No offense, but you guys can't be serious. There must be someone better suited for the job. Like him. The ring has chosen you, Kyle Rayner. But I'm just an artist. I doodle in the margins of notepads. I daydream about color and form and monster trucks. I live half my life in a fantasy world. You sound perfect. Yeah, 
absolutely. It's a lot of fun. And like I said, I encourage you to go back in the archives. It wasn't that long ago, I guess. Well, well coming up, I guess, almost on 100 episodes ago and <laughs> in a few weeks here. But uh, yeah, you can check it out in the archives. It's a fun episode to revisit, one that uh, one that's an enjoyable 22 minutes to pop in if you're interested and you get some good uh, get some good good clean fun there with green lantern and as you said it's it's a basic green lantern story that involves uh, his maybe his fame most famous arch nemesis in the in sinestro with the yellow ring so easy storytelling and a and a fun one at that absolutely and uh before we get into our main green lantern john stewart and all of his season one of justice league adventures we will mention that in the real world chronology uh, there was another Green Lantern seen in the DCAU beforehand, that of course being the uh, the Green Lantern of the future uh, in, in <laughs> Batman Beyond uh, The Call Parts 1 and 2, which is not an episode we've covered yet. Um, so we will save that for uh, a future volume, but we did see a glimpse of uh, what the Green Lantern Corps will be like in the future if you have a, a, young, uh, a young child named Cairo is, uh, is wielding the ring at that point. But our, uh, our next look at the Green Lantern is, of course, in the debut episodes of Justice League Secret Origins, uh, which, of course, debuted as sort of a television movie, even though it was made up of three individual episodes. But you do have Jon Stewart debuting in part two, technically, of that, of course, also appearing in part three there. Uh, and he liked that episode. It's it's mostly a uh, a Martian Manhunter, Batman, and Superman focused story, with uh, with a little bit of Wonder Woman sprinkled in. So there's not a ton for John to do there, but we do get the introduction of of John here, and uh, we do get a uh, some pretty iconic moments, both him catching the bat plane out of midair as he uh, as he makes his first on-screen appearance and then later in part three we do get to see the first of what would be many pairings between him and uh and wally west the flash yeah i think i think the one that stands out is definitely his his first appearance in that second part as you mentioned part one is mainly a batman superman story part two is where we get uh, well the tail end of part one is where we're introduced to the martian manhunter and then in part two, as they're as Batman and Martian Manhunter are uh, are escaping, they're being pursued and attacked by some of the. They're not the White Martians. They're the uh, <laughs> what are the uh, whatever they the, those alien creatures that invaded mm-hmm. the Earth. And uh, at that point, uh, it's it's awesome. The bat plane is headed down, and then you just see this green glow encase the entire bat plane. And Batman sort of reacts incredulously, and uh, is confused as to what's going on. And I love Martian Manhunter's line. He goes, "Help has arrived." Of 
the Green Lantern, and uh, he actually apologizes for being late. <laughs> uh, he was helping out uh, on, on another sector, and then he actually gets the introduction. Uh, you know, or he he along with sort of gets stood up uh, or overshadowed in the rest of the battle because we have the introduction of Hawkgirl or, and uh, also, of course, Wonder Woman making her appearance as well. So alongside the Flash. So we do get uh, we do get a, the whole team there sort of uniting in one scene. And uh, but Green Lantern's save of the Batplane, I thought, was was great. But you, as you mentioned, you do get the first sort of pairing of Wally and and John together. And that, of course, would become a, a hallmark later on in the series and in, in several episodes and their relationship and their friendship. And this is a good episode to lay the foundation of them working together, I thought. Yeah, you just you set up the archetypal buddy cop thing, right? You got the John Stewart, especially I think in these earliest episodes, very much is played as the the ultimate soldier, the guy who's going to do everything by the book, and uh, you know, no very no nonsense. And then you have this complete comic relief, you know, sillier character with Flash, and of course those uh, opposites are going to attract in that way, and 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 that sets up a, as you said a fun pairing. And speaking of that pairing, that would move us on. To the very next episodes, these, uh, which would be in Blackest Night parts one and two, it did not take uh, John very long to get a full spotlight for himself. As across these two ish uh, two episodes, we see some mysterious robots uh, attacking a local town, and we and we come to find out very quickly that they are searching for none other than John Stewart himself, who has sort of gone home and is. Uh, meeting up with some old people from his neighborhood that he recognizes as he as he sort of is is not sure if he still fits in here on earth and and uh once we see these manhunters coming we find out they're coming to collect him and to arrest him for uh with a pretty serious charge of his uh his actions causing the destruction of an entire planet and right when uh the, the league seemingly wants to get involved and wants to to stop John from being what they believe to be railroaded, he informs them that no, uh, no one is lying and that he did it and that he is guilty. And uh, that sets up a pretty dramatic part too as, as the Flash, Superman, Hawkgirl, and Martian Manhunter are all sort of trying to figure out how exactly they can help John, especially when he doesn't believe that he deserves that help or, or needs that help. As he, he tells the Flash that, that every, everyone here, especially superheroes like them, need to be held accountable because they have too much power not to be. Yeah, it's a great. Con I mean, honestly, looking at it now, especially through and not to not to stand on a soapbox or anything, but it's interesting looking through the lens of present day, <laughs> the modern climate of the world, and certainly here in America, talking mm -hmm. about holding those with the most power accountable for their actions, and how this was an episode in two thousand and one, <laughs> and this was something that that was being addressed. Um, and by this character who is who is known as the police force, the space police force, essentially, you know, um, so very, very interesting that this was this was commentary that was being given and that John it, it really honestly, it shows a lot about John's character. Now I get it. You wanted to clear your name. That's why you didn't put up a fight back on Earth. I told you to stay out of this. That scum's an obvious liar. Give me five minutes alone with him. I'll get the truth. Hawkgirl, Flash, all of you, listen to me. Nobody's lying. 
Do you see that? I did it. I'm guilty. I feel like out of most of the characters, um, you know, we already knew who Bruce Wayne and Batman was, so we didn't have a lot of fleshing out of that character to do. We didn't have a lot of fleshing out of the Superman character. Both of those guys had their own series. We didn't need to learn more about them. We knew who they were. Mm -hmm. And even if you have just a rudimentary knowledge of, of DC heroes, you know who Batman and Superman are. So what these episodes, especially early on, I felt did such a great job of doing is laying the foundation of Jon Stewart and humanizing him. He's not just a space cop he's not just a guy within with a powerful ring that can create anything that he thinks of he's he's a human being he you know we'll see later on we see in this episode him in his hometown and connecting with people in his own community and trying to fit back in after not you know after being sort of well known as the green lantern now and um you know we learn later on of course in other episodes his heart as a soldier a former marine and you know his 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 love uh, eventually that uh, that sparked for shaira and all of this so you really you really learn about him as a character and they really humanize him and his heart here to admit when thinking that he's wrong of course we learn that it's all a ruse in fact and it was a complete setup uh by the manhunters in an attempt to to overthrow oa and distract and and uh and and cause uh, john to be distracted and and uh to be put on trial here but it's him willing to to own up to his mistakes really i feel like puts a, a human element into him that really developed this character that i feel like a lot of people including myself didn't know a lot about this version of the green lantern so when you set out on this new course and you're you're introducing this new character it would have been very easy to make him a one-dimensional he's the green lantern he's a guy with a ring and that's all that we know or care about him but the fact that they did such a great job of humanizing him and making this character right from the start here as you mentioned very early on in this series kicking off showing what type of what type of man the character john stewart is uh i think it's just so great and speaks to how well this character was written throughout the entire series um i encourage you if you're interested in hearing our full review of this episode you can head way back in the archives uh at uh, at dcaureview.com or on your favorite podcast app this would be episode 31 secret origins by the way if you want to hear our review of that was episode 30 so uh definitely check that out liam it's a fun fun one and it, it sort of all culminates with this incredible battle on Oa between the Manhunters and uh, and and the what's left of the the Green Lantern Corps here as as John sort of has to has to figure out a way to overpower this army of Manhunters uh, with the help of the Justice League. That's right, Cal. As you mentioned, we do get some other Green Lantern, other members of the Corps. Are, uh, they're first sort of present at the trial with, with John Stewart, and they're all sort of very publicly washing their hands of him. Not a great uh, first impression of, uh, of unity <laughs> in the Green Lantern Corps. I'm not going not gonna to lie. Right. That's but, right. You but get, you, get, you get Hulker calling them out pretty, pretty early on there, which is really <laughs> great. But these guys aren't, uh, aren't very likable, I'll say that. Absolutely not. Yeah, that they they very much quickly set up that the the Green Lanterns are very willing to uh, to throw John under the bus and and let him be punished and 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 because you know the institution is what is important is sort of the implication here and that 
you know, if, if John goes down, that's fine. As long as he doesn't take the whole Green Lantern Corps with him. But yes, we, as you mentioned, Cal, we have Gallius Arcus Chumic Kilowog making his debut. He is sort of the one Green Lantern who does stand by John, uh, as well as Larvox Tomar, Tomar Ray, uh, also making appearances in this one. Another slew of classic Green Lanterns from across the years in uh, in the comics there. But as you mentioned, they're they're very uh, unwilling to stand by John at first and have a nice big uh, bar brawl with Hawkgirl uh, for their troubles before, as I said, ultimately Kilowog is willing to sort of go back with them. And then they do sort of come back and and help John and the Justice League fight the Manhunters at the end of the episode, though ultimately, and this is probably, if there's one thing you'll remember above all the other uh, moments that we've certainly talked about and enjoyed, it is the moment where we get, uh, as far as I know, the only time we we see on screen uh, John Stewart doing the Green Lantern oath, and it's the ultimate oath as he has to not only absorb enough power to power his ring, he has to absorb all of the power from the giant central power battery, all of the power from all of the Green Lantern rings across the cosmos has been absorbed by this one lead manhunter, and he has to absorb all of that energy in, in one beautiful, you know, bright visually stunning sequence as he absorbs all that power into his ring and then fires it out to recreate the power battery so it's a a really stunning way to end the episode visuals that they give john uh, especially in that first season absolutely and uh yeah that's a that's a hall of fame moment for phil and armor certainly we'll talk about him a little bit more depth in a few minutes here but uh yeah moving on to our next episode of justice league we had to cover it was the very next episode in the series the enemy below parts one and two which of course reintroduced aquaman to the series and sort of was uh, seemed to be this ongoing conflict between atlantis and the surface world and green lantern is uh, is is very interesting again you go back into the, the sort of the the hardened military man uh, very much treating Aquaman as an as an enemy combatant, as it were, and <laughs> and very uh, very concerned about what sort of uh, what Aquaman could be up to as the Pierce, this nuclear submarine has been been damaged by the Atlanteans, and and then of course he has sort of more a more direct physical 
confrontation with Aquaman before uh, in, uh, in part one. And then part two, he and Batman sort of work together to ultimately disarm this giant nuclear tidal wave machine, you know, tale as old as time as we have to say here, <laughs> that, uh, that Aquaman's evil brother Orm had created. So uh, not, not as much for John to do this week, but we do again get to sort of reinforce that, that ultimate soldier perspective that we're starting to see here especially when when he feels that the 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 world or, or in this case the it's america especially is being challenged by uh by this this outside force in his in his estimation that being aquaman and the people of atlantis yeah i think the highlight for that is certainly the the conflict with with aquaman there's also a point in in part two where uh, where as Batman has to d- decides in order to disarm this nuclear submarine's core, he has to go inside the core. So Green Lantern actually encases him in his ring and kind of holds him in there, sort of struggling to to keep his concentration while Batman is doing it and climbs inside the reactor. But uh, yeah, that was it's not it's definitely not a uh, a starring role for for John in this episode. It's very much an Aquaman episode. How However, there is a lot, a uh, lot of fun in the scenes that uh, that John does pop up in. Absolutely, and then the, the next appearance John would make in the series is in the two-part episode "Injustice for All." Uh, again, not a major role for him, but he is there along with all the other members of the Justice League, fighting against uh, Lex Luthor's Injustice Gang, and we do get uh, another Green Lantern, a famous baddie, and that one star Sapphire shows up for the first time. So uh, not much to talk about from a, a character perspective there for John, but some uh, some fun sort of Justice League versus evil Justice League uh, team battles in that one that you can you can enjoy and, and John's yeah. part of those. Yeah, it's not it's not a lot. It, again, that episode is very heavily focused on Lex. Lu- it's a Lex Luthor episode. There's a, some great Batman in there, but of course, the Green Lantern does play a part. You can, of course, hear our review of this episode as well as the enemy below we've covered both of those the enemy below you can hear that back on episode 32 of the podcast if you want to hear our full review and then injustice for all was episode 43 yep there you go and then our our next episode uh, featuring john actually when we we talked about not too long ago uh that being war world parts one and two um which is obviously not a if you've seen that one not a huge uh, hugely focused episode. It's mostly a Superman story, but it does feature, uh, for uh, for posterity's sake, it does feature the first sort of on-screen pairing, first sparks flying moments between uh, between John Stewart and Hawkgirl. Yeah, it's our first look at the two of them, which, uh, as you mentioned, not too long ago, you can check out that episode in the archives at on episode 187 but uh yeah that episode is uh is fun because it is their first pairing together we talked about it a little bit it does lay the groundwork they are butting heads throughout throughout the uh the episode i think most famously they are in a what is i guess sort of like a space cab (laughs) they are arguing in the back about uh where they're going to go and how they're going to go about things and that's when they're arguing so much that they don't realize that the sinister driver who's actually about to double cross them has rolled up a window in order to gas them and then dumps them on some strange planet where honestly they could have died but thankfully 
they happened to land on the same trash planet uh, that uh, Draga was was also dumped on. <laughs> so by happenstance alone, did they actually find stumble their way onto uh, actually helping out Superman? But uh, yeah, it's not not the best uh, showing of teamwork between the two of them. But we know that that's obviously setting up that they're at each other's throats because later on uh, that uh, that will be quite the opposite of what happens to these two characters. But yeah, it's it's great because you you set up that both of these characters, both uh, him and Hawkgirl, which you can hear our volume one of Hawkgirl in the uh, in the archives. Also, we've done a spotlight episode of her recently. You can check out more commentary on that. But there's it sets up that they're both very strong willed, very strong, uh, strong uh, and uh, strong opinionated, uh, very opinionated characters and uh, butting heads here is sort of going to be their what ultimately I feel like leads to them making a, a decent couple because they you have that that strong willed perseverance between the two of them to persevere, even though uh, they, they end up running into some some pretty serious couple trouble later on, as we know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And from there, we will move on to actually a couple of episodes we haven't covered yet. But uh, thankfully for us, they don't, uh, they don't feature too uh, heavily into John's characterization. We have uh, first up the Brave and the Bold, parts one and two, not the series, these, uh, these two episodes, which are, are really more of a, a flash story focused on the introduction of Gorilla Grodd, as well as the uh, Solovar and the rest of uh, Gorilla City, not to be confused with Bird City, which is where <laughs> Mr. Wing uh, was from and was exiled from for being too radical. Um, <laughs> Really, Grodd really ripped him off, but uh, the deep cut but, there. That's right. That's <laughs> For the, people that, that haven't goes back to our, <laughs> yeah, check out our bonus episode coverages uh, of, of Batman: The Adventures Continue while you're in the archives, checking out these older reviews. If you if you really want to understand that reference, there you go. It's a deep cut, but yes, as uh, as mentioned, it's more of a a flash story. But we do see John sort of once again paired with Wally, whether he wants to be or not, and and having to deal with the Flash being arrested did for uh under the duress of mind control stealing a chemical and and later on uh, john having to work with uh, some of the other justice league members to try to stop a, a missile from crashing into uh gorilla city so not a not a lot to, to to speak of from when it comes to john and uh john in that episode but of course it does follow up on the uh, the wally pairing and hey if that flash that live action flash movie ever comes out we'll do a flash month and we'll cover that episode <laughs> well i heard i heard they're showing clips of it even though the uh even though the star of the movie is seemingly in legal trouble every single weekend and uh and they haven't finished any of the uh, <laughs> any of the special effects yet so yeah one day it'll come out i hope <laughs> And yes, and that's what we'll cover that. a Batman movie. So we'll just, <laughs> yeah, there you go. We'll, uh, we'll figure it out somewhere down the line. But speaking of ones that will probably be covered in a future character month, we do also have uh, John appearing in Fury parts one and two, albeit briefly. Uh, he's one of the male justice leaguers who succumbs to the poison gas that only affects uh, men on the planet earth by the evil Amazon Aresia. Uh, mostly a Wonder Woman story there, but John is uh, is present for that. Not much to say. Again, we will probably cover that down the line in a in a theoretical Wonder Woman month. But uh, moving on from that, Cal, we get to probably uh, I would say almost undoubtedly the one that uh, is holds the most special place in your heart, 
at least from season one of Justice League, and that would be Legends Parts 1 and 2, which uh, features Green Lantern, Hawkgirl, The Flash, and Martian Manhunter being transported to seemingly back to the past, and then also they, they soon figure out another dimension where they meet a bunch of alternate versions of superheroes who John quickly recognizes as the characters from his favorite comic book from when, when he was a kid. And John gets to live out this unbelievable adventure with, uh, with his, his real-life superheroes. That's right. Black Siren, Tom Turbine, The Streak, The Green Guardsman. These were the characters from his favorite comic book as a child, you know? It's, uh, it's a great episode. It's, it's truly, it, again, it humanizes, humanizes Jon Stewart. We learn more, even more so about who this character is. And uh, we, get to, we get to learn about who he was as a child, who he idolized as a child, and why like, some, of his, some of his characterization makeup because of you know, these people that he looked up to. And uh, it's one of those things where he gets to meet his heroes. And if you've ever, as a human being, have ever had the opportunity to meet a hero of yours and it's you know they've turned out to be exactly who you'd hope they'd be which doesn't happen all the time but in the cases mm-hmm. the the cases that it does it's a it's a really special moment and in this it's really it's a really fun episode to follow john especially in that in that first part early on where he's working alongside these heroes and having so much fun doing so but it doesn't last for him. And that's sort of the, the bittersweet tragedy of this character and, and sort of mirrors his storyline throughout is that he's, he has these moments of joy that are just intermittently uh, broken up and, and unfortunately uh, spoiled by these, these moments of tragedy is he sort of begins to realize that something is off, something isn't adding up. And that's where we learn that he starts doing some research. He starts looking around. He realizes that, things aren't adding up. There's constant distractions. Whenever he tries to get the bottom of things, he goes to libraries where there aren't any words written in the books. There's townspeople that seem to just show up all the time uh, and, and seem to be trapped in certain ways. And uh, there's a very emotional end of that part one where he discovers that all of the heroes are actually already dead. They find their graves. And part two is really Mm -hmm. him coming to grips. John, I'm sorry. You were right. They're gone. All of them. Then who are those people back at the mansion? Robots? Clones? I don't know. But I intend to get some answers. Yeah, it's it's a really emotional beat, as you mentioned. You know, at the end of part part one ends with Hawk Girl discovering those graves and, and showing them to John. And then, as you mentioned, they uh, they sort of go on this adventure together as they're re- trying to figure out what exactly happened to this world, what is going on. They can't get anyone to answer questions, and ultimately, they are as as he has to confront this. And then there these heroes being uh being confronted with the fact that they are in fact not real still choose to help them and save the justice league and uh and give a a fond farewell to john as they defeat this sort of magical psychic nuclear powered 
man child <laughs> that's created created this alternate reality um and they they give they literally give their their entire existence just so that the justice league can survive and and get home and it's a, it's a really it's really dramatic and and the final scene you talk about a moment that really helped to i think solidify the 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 john and shaira pairing is it's just in that final moments of the episode is as Hawkgirl sees him sort of staring out into space back in the watchtower and and when uh, you know he he's sort of trying to play it off and say well you know I, I shouldn't I shouldn't be upset they weren't even real why do I feel this way and and she just you know she puts her arms around him and just tells him that you know they they gave their lives for us and then that's real enough you should have been there. It was so freaky. Those cornball villains with their bad puns and the heroes with the decoder rings. What's up with that? Still, Black Siren was a hottie. Where's GL? Are you okay? It's stupid, really. Why should I feel like this? I mean, they weren't even real. They gave their lives for us. That's real enough for me. They just have this moment. It's just, it's a really profound because it's its one of those, it's not a happy ending for him. As you said, like that's as much fun as that adventure is as an episode at the end, it comes down to this like, what is the, you know, what does it mean to be a hero? And, and, and what is it, you know, what ultimately does does fiction mean, you know, to to a person, and can that shape who a person is, and things like that? It deals with some some pretty heady concepts, and really ends on a bit of a down note. But it's also a you know kind of a beautiful moment of of Hawk Girl comforting him as as he sort of has to come to terms with what these fictional beings meant to him and what this adventure has done and how it changed him. Yeah, it's it is a it is one of the few episodes I think you can probably count. Yeah, maybe on two hands, but definitely at least on one hand, the amount of downer endings to to certain episodes, and for whatever reason, uh, across the entire DCAU catalog, and for whatever reason, those ones tend to have uh, more of a lasting impact. I feel like as an adult, just because it makes it feel more real. Like not every story has a happy ending, and um, you know, it humanizes the characters. It, it makes you know it, it allows those characters to show other emotions of disappointment and grief and sadness and that final scene is a is a perfect example and it really does set up that that pairing between uh john and shaira shaira actually gets to comfort john in those moments and uh you know it's it to me despite it not being a a happy ending it is the perfect ending for that episode and if you want to hear our entire review of that episode i invite you to check that out it's episode 44 in the archives so it's uh quite a while ago but it's a good one and and ranked uh pretty high in our scores for uh for the both of us from my recollection so definitely uh it invites you to check that one out when you get some time because that's a uh, it's a fun episode it's one that I'll always revisit uh, every every couple of years, if not uh, every year or so. And it's uh, it's a great showcase for John because it allows him again, 
you get you get him being uh, the superhero, but then him also being a, a, a detective at times and him him being concerned and figuring out and getting to the bottom of, of just what is is causing all of this and recognizing that even though he's having so much fun that he can't he can't put that in front of the fact that there's something that's clearly not right in this creepy sort of uh, Stepford wife type <laughs> universe that they find themselves in. So, yeah, it's and it's it's a it's it's a sort of a launching pad again because of the way that Shira ends up comforting him to allow that that Hawk Lantern relationship to continue to to grow. Absolutely, and uh, we would see a little bit more of that focused on in the next episode that uh, John featured in that being Metamorphosis Parts One and Two, which is another one we covered not too long ago. But it focuses not only on uh, on John, uh, his relationship with this this friend of his, Rex Mason. He sort of reconnects with this old uh, Marine buddy of his, and uh, and he sort of starts to wonder a little bit about the road the road less traveled. As find out that uh, this this guy Mason has gotten out of the the service and and as you know married or is engaged to a beautiful woman and is working in this nice job and seems to have everything that maybe at one point John would have pictured uh, for himself and even sort of confides as much in Hawkgirl as uh, in the middle of them stopping some bank robbers, he's sort of remarking how he, he, th- he still thinks about occasionally what, what would have happened if he hadn't accepted the ring and he hadn't sort of, you know, t- thrown aside one uniform and taken up another if, you know, if his life could have been different as well. Well, that was pretty darn sloppy. Sorry. Care to talk about it? Running into Mason after all these years. I guess it got me thinking, wondering about the choices I've made. The road not taken? Yeah. Maybe I could have been like him. Wealthy, successful. Engaged to a beautiful woman? It's Mace. Are you all right? John, we have to talk. Before John can really even grapple with those those thoughts and feelings, his his friend Rex is transformed, and of course into the uh, other DC hero Metamorpho, who uh, who at first is very angry with John and the Justice League, and in fact pretty almost single handedly defeats him uh, <laughs> as he's uh, as he's quite uh, quite powerful and kind of uniquely gifted in in ways that he can he can hurt the Justice League and and. Ultimately, it comes down to to John and and really Metamorpho himself having to put aside their differences and and realize that they're kind of being played by this the evil uh, Simon Stag, who he himself gets transformed into this this giant green and chemical monster. Uh, once again, a tale as old as time. And, uh, <laughs> this part two really just becomes a big punch up between the Justice League and and this uh, this chemo monster uh, like Simon Stagg. But uh, we do get some interesting little tidbits of, of Jon Stewart maybe wondering if, if, if he's made all the right decisions in his life that have led him to this point. 
Yeah, more character building, more more giving you background, and certainly an interesting question because as, as we've mentioned, we know that that Clark Kent has his own life as a reporter, and you know, and is happy with what he does. Living as Clark Kent is what brings him the most joy. We find out so often uh, in in whatever iteration, but certainly the DCAU version of of Clark of Clark Kent slash Superman, Batman uh, has his his outlet and the things that he does even though we know batman is is the character bruce wayne is the mask he still does help gotham in the form of bruce wayne and charities and the things that he is able to do clearly doesn't have to worry about money doesn't have to worry about you know his spending time <laughs> with women should he decide that that's something that he wants to pursue it's just not on his radar but you know for 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 john you know he went from being a soldier to then being essentially a space soldier after that. So, you know, he have being able to stop and think and, and wonder, is the sacrifice worth it? You know, did he miss out on a, on a different life because he chose to, to sacrifice and, and give up, you know, his, uh, his own life in exchange for, you know, for an exchange for serving, serving the country and then serving the galaxy, essentially, you know, and, and what that would look like. It, it's a really human thing to, to sit there and wonder and to, and to constantly question our decisions that we've made in our lives. And um, I think that's very, very natural. And because of that, it makes this character with a ring that creates constructs of whatever he thinks about, uh, or shoots green laser blasts, depending on what season of the Justice League it is, uh, it, it humanizes him and makes him relatable. So, and this is another one of those episodes where, uh, you know, he has a buddy, he's comparing his his life to this buddy and, and wondering, and as you mentioned, that open dialogue that he has with Hawkgirl as to whether or not, you know, this was the right choice for him or whether or not he should have settled down at some point. Um, but then it, it ultimately at the end, he kind of, I feel like is rewarded because he teams up with Metamorpho and we get, you know, we get this opportunity for them to work together and they're stopping this giant monster and realizing that, Hey, he, he is making a difference in a way that a lot of people wouldn't ever have the opportunity to do so. Um, so, uh, I feel like he's rewarded a little bit in the, in the end with being able to work with his friend to defeat the monster. So yeah, it's a, it's a good episode. It certainly features and, and is he more heavy on the metamorpho side of things because it was used as an opportunity to introduce that character. But, uh, mm -hmm. John, John's story running parallel and being intertwined with, with, uh, Rex Mason's origin there is, is, uh, is definitely very important. Absolutely. And that'll bring us to our final episodes of season one here of Justice League, where our, our episode portion will uh, will end here for volume one. That being, of course, the epic three parts uh, World War Two adventure, the savage time, uh, John, along with uh, five of the other members of the Justice League, all except uh, all except Batman are sort of caught in this this time, this sort of weird energy pulse as they're returning home and it seems only because of the green lantern's ring they are not affected by what they clearly figure out pretty quickly is uh, has been some sort of time travel shenanigans that have resulted in 
among other things, the Nazis having won World War II and this man, Vandal Savage, uh, controlling the entire earth, it seems, with an iron fist. And uh, after meeting with a sort of resistance, uh, an anti-fascist, if you will, Batman, uh, meeting up uh, and them going and finding this, this strange time portal John and the rest of the league go back to the past to sort of right those wrongs. But as as they're dealing with getting uh, getting some soldiers out of Dodge in this particular battle, uh, John's power ring dies, and uh, Hawk Girl sort of has a choice to make, and John encourages her to take these soldiers and save their lives and not to worry about him, but. In the uh, in the aftermath, he's sort of wiped out and, and buried under some rubble, and uh, is seemingly lost to the rest of the league. And John, uh, so John's behind enemy lines, as it were, with no power ring and no way to recharge. And uh, he does uh, he does in fact find some some other soldiers, and in fact he finds a group of uh, some wonderful uh, DC World War II characters make their appearances throughout this episode, but none perhaps more memorable than uh, that being Sergeant Rock and Easy Company who team up with John as they take down some uh, some of Savage's weapons plants and uh, in fact John ends up on Savage's ship as as, uh, as the sort of final battle uh, presents itself so a, a lot for John to do here and once again this time getting to show who he is as a soldier and as a man and as a hero, even when he doesn't have his, uh, his magical ring that can, that can, even without the ability to fly or, or shoot green lasers, he's still shown to be a hero and, and one heck of a soldier across these three episodes. Absolutely. Yeah. It really solidifies his heart for being a hero. It really makes, uh, makes it very clear that it's certainly the man that makes the ring, not the ring that makes the man. And uh, there's some, there is some great opportunities that we have with GL as, uh, as GL in this episode. We see him go up against the, the war wheels in, in the, I believe it's in, in part two. And we have uh, that, that leads to the sort of culmination of him being left behind by, by Hawk Girl as he's actually more concerned. And that, again, reveals the heart of him as a soldier in those moments, battling these war wheels. Hawk Girl attempts to, to sort of carry GL out because his ring has died and he insists uh, or is dying and he insists that she get the soldiers out and that he'll be fine. Um, this, of course, causes conflict between Hawk Girl and Flash later on as Flash can't believe that that she bothered to to leave Green Lantern behind. But uh, it's it is really a great opportunity to to learn about John, who he was uh, in his life prior to being a Green Lantern. And it really does. It creates more depth for the characters as we we see he really uh, befriends and and becomes a part of this unit uh, that Sergeant Rock leads. Needs. And uh, there is some initial sort of, uh, you know, sort of uh, there's some friction that occurs between the t him and a couple of the members, but uh, he's quickly embraced by them and uh, really became, becomes a, a major part of that force to, uh, to the, as you mentioned, leads to them getting aboard vandal savage's ship in the uh, for the culmination of the episode. So yeah, it's a it's a fun episode. And and really that whole 
third part or third act of the of the uh, the movie, if you will, or the third part of the of the episode, depending on how you look at it or watched it originally, uh, is it is an interesting interesting way to present this character because he's Green Lantern, but he doesn't have his powers for for the entire basic third part. Faced the whole area. Maybe GHQ got some bad info. Yeah, wouldn't be the first time. Or maybe the map's no good. You're right. This hill isn't even on it. I wonder. You're so smart. Why don't you go find a runway with your magic ring? Enough of that, Dozer. Sarge, you almost got us killed. What do we need you for anyway? You're a big man when your ring's working, but without it, you're just... Ah! What in blazes? I thought so. The hill's a phony. That's why it wasn't on the map. There's your runway. Yeah, I, I love that that portrayal and that op, that opportunity that they gave this character to to showcase that it's it's more about the person wielding the ring than it is about the ring that makes uh, makes him a formidable hero. Absolutely, and like, like I said, it's a, it's a great episode. It has some some really fun characterization moments for a lot of our our different Justice Leaguers, but certainly uh, John gets to play a big part. And to mention Hawkgirl gets to swoop in at the last minute to save him. We get a nice little moment there to sort of, again, sort of just hammer home that there's a, there's something growing there between them as we, we wrap up season one. So yeah, that will wrap up the episode portion. A lot of strong season one. I, I think season one of Justice League is often thought of uh, by most fans and maybe comparatively speaking, it is the weakest of the uh, of the Justice League uh, runs here. But I got to say, like from what we've just talked about for John, he might have one of the uh, the strongest, strongest string of episodes in uh, in a season one for Justice League, uh, at, at least that we've uh, that we've talked about so far. He's had a, he had a lot of big, important moments and it feels like we really we know a lot more about this character and he feels more important and we care more about what happens to him from when we met him in, in part two of secret origins to, to where we find him in part three of a savage time. So a lot of good character growth across this first season. Yeah. I think we ran into something similar when we talked about Hawkgirl in volume one, we just covered her, her first uh, first season there of Justice League as well. And while uh, we did get some feedback and, and could definitely see the critique that Hawkgirl's storyline relied heavily on John and they didn't do mm-hmm. as much character development for her. And I think some of that may have been because they knew or had in mind this idea that they couldn't reveal too much about this character because of what was coming with Starcrossed, maybe. Um, and that that maybe they didn't want to flesh out too much about who this character was. Right or wrong, her a lot of her character development in that first season was certainly built around her relationship with John. John, however, I feel like it's while his relationship with Hawkgirl was certainly part of that foundation of learning about who he is and uh, what, you know, eventually what the, his storyline goes on to, to sort of lay out there. I, I think that we'd certainly get a, a lot more development for him in, in learning about his past, who he is at his core and, and certainly, uh, you know, creating a, a, a character sort of out of nothing here that a lot of people didn't know about or wouldn't have known about and creating a you know a love for this character a lot of people uh you know we polled a lot of people 
you know, I think in Green Lantern month uh, a, a, a year or so ago, maybe two years now on our Instagram. And uh, there were a lot of people that pick Jon Stewart as their Green Lantern for this reason, because uh, he isn't just a one dimensional character. He isn't just a guy with a ring. He has a heart. There's a lot that we learn about him. There's future episodes, of course, in, in Justice League season two and Justice League Unlimited that continue that development. There's a Static Shock episode that we learn even more about John and that um, that we have yet to cover, but there's more coming. So there's in volume two, we'll talk more about, you know, that further development here, but I, I agree with you for, for what is looked at and, and rightfully so at times, I think uh, maybe storytelling wise, that first season being a little bit uh, the weakest of the justice league stories, it does, it does for certain characters, it does set up what you needed to, for the rest of the series to go, go forward. And, and for those characters, especially Jon Stewart to be such a, a major player in those in those upcoming seasons and then the subsequent justice league unlimited seasons that is right cal so that will as as we said that will wrap up volume one as far as the episodes that we'll be talking about but before we wrap up our episode here we do have a few more notes we want to touch on uh one being the music of the green lantern Corps, and uh that would again go back to in brightest day the superman episode uh the theme that is sort of created there by michael mcquistian in that episode is then used by mr mcquistian as well as his uh dynamic music partners christopher carter and the leader at manis as the theme that we sort of play that seems maybe as that's Kyle's theme and that episode really becomes the all purpose Green Lantern core theme as it's used for not only for John throughout many of his episodes across uh, you know Justice League but even when when Kyle and some of the other Green Lantern core members come back later on and in, in Justice League Unlimited which we'll certainly talk about it's sort of brought back again so Mr. McQuestion really creates like this beautiful it's a little I guess maybe a bit Star Trekky. I feel like is maybe how we described it at the time it's very space odyssey uh soundtrack it's it's a beautiful piece of music and it's it's great uh, galaxy exploring music and and it, it starts there and in brightest day and then is sort of used as the refrain for john throughout uh throughout the his his subsequent series as well yeah i feel like there's definitely some there's a little star wars in there too there's a little bit of that soaring uh exploration of of, of of foreign galaxies definitely is sort of the image that you get mm -hmm. as you hear that piece come in but yeah it, i mean it was so good that they even brought it back for the justice league versus the fatal five and used it in uh in some of the music in that it's it's uh there's there's hints of it played again so yeah it's a it's a great piece uh mr mcquish did a great composition there it's one that uh, i believe when we even talked about uh, in brightest day it's like man this would have been great to hear as a theme for uh for an animated series you could just hear credits mm -hmm. playing over top of that and getting a uh you know getting some some clips played over it for for a gltas not not that gltas but <laughs> uh, a dcau green lantern the animated series if you will so yeah that uh it's a great piece of music one that when you hear it and it's it's one that's layered uh, and used in different spots throughout the animated series is and uh, brought back again for Justice League and and later, of course, in Justice League Unlimited, as you mentioned. But yeah, it's a it's a nice piece. It's one that's that's memorable and one that, again, I love the fact that they kept the continuity of the music. They bring that piece back. 
and uh and it's a great piece it 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 fits this character it fits who we know as the as we've as i've mentioned already the space cops the space police whatever you want to call them um you know it, <laughs> it fits that that idea and it's a it's a great composition so yeah a very memorable piece for mr mcquistion and uh n- not surprising that they kept bringing it back because it was uh it was done so well absolutely and uh, from here, we will talk about voice acting. Now, obviously, we have one voice actor in particular that we will uh, we will chat about more at length. But uh, we will mention some of the other Green Lantern voices we heard. We do get Mr. Michael Rosenbaum as Arcus Chumick uh, briefly in, in, in Blackest Night, uh, always pulling double and triple duty, that Rosenbaum. Uh, we have uh, we have Rene Aubergenois as... Uh, as Gallius, who plays sort of, as we said, more of a, a more pompous, pompous Green Lantern, sort of representing the core, very willing to throw John under the bus, uh, has some some fun sort of memorable moments, as we mentioned with with Hawk Girl, especially. We also uh, in 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 Brightest Day we have uh, Peter Mark Richmond voicing Abin Store very briefly before his uh, untimely demise. And uh, we have Michael P. Greco playing Kyle Rayner. Now, obviously, when Kyle Rayner comes back, he is not voiced by this gentleman again. But uh, for, for for that episode, I do remember enjoying Mr. Greco's performance as just sort of this, this, as you said, this sort of hapless artist who's just way out of his depth kind of from minute one and and then finally sort of is accepting his destiny with the help of Superman towards the end there. I think he, he does a good job in, in that in that episode. Yeah, and there's some, there's certainly some reluctance, as you mentioned, his hesitation, his disbelief of being worthy of carrying this ring around, and he have has some interactions with Jimmy Olsen in that episode that are pretty funny from my recollection. And yeah, it's it's a good good episode, and the fact that he's he's sort of brought up by Tim Daly's Superman at the end to, to sort of believe that he actually is worthy of this, and he'll make a a good Green Lantern in the end is uh is great yeah he is uh he is replaced later on by uh some unknown actor in when he comes back in justice league unlimited but that's uh that's for volume two (laughs) (laughs) that is right cal and uh speaking of justice league here in season one we also had uh dennis haysbert uh great 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 actor um you're in good hands with uh, all state That's right. Uh, president from 24, I believe as well, and yep. several other roles, but a, a very memorable voice playing Kilowog. He also gets a little bit more time to shine in uh, in a season two episode, but he does, as we said, get, get a moment to sort of stand up for John when the rest of the core is, is willing to kind of throw him to the dogs there. So it's a fun, uh, fun, fun little bit of characterization we get for Kilowog there. And and then, of course, we have the main event. We have Phil Lamar himself, an absolute legend in voice acting. It's it's one of those things when we talk about really any of our main Justice League actors. But, I mean, between Phil Lamar doing this, of course, also the voice of Static, we talk about Phil Lamar and how talented he is as a voice actor a lot. So it can be hard to find new things to say about it. But I think revisiting season one, I, I appreciate one that he kind of nailed he nailed it right out of the gate as far as what he wanted that voice to be. The very, as we said, the very soldier, authoritative nature of the way he speaks, especially in those episodes. And then when, and then in those softer moments when he sort of lets that that veneer crack and we see the man underneath the 
you know, the, the, the soldier doing his duty. I think, I think he's able to show a lot of, a lot of warmth and, and vulnerability, certainly when he's, whether he's talking with the flash in, in, in blackest, in blackest night, or obviously some of these episodes that we mentioned where he's, when he's dealing with, uh, with uh, Maria Canals Barrera as Hawkgirl, just, he gets, he gets a lot, lot to do, I think, in, in the softer moments as well, none more so than probably what we've already talked about a little bit there in Legends, as he, he has to go through so many different emotions, and that one, not only is just the, the super heroic moments, the, the sort of the kid inside of him being reignited when he gets to meet these comic book heroes he loved and then sort of having to say goodbye to all of them at the same time. It's, it's really quite, as you said, the, the mix of, of, of pure joy and then utter tragedy that he has to convey across those two episodes is really stunning. Yeah. Uh, we, as you mentioned, we, we talk about him a lot. I, I don't know that I can add anything more to the superlatives that you just uh, you just used. He's fantastic. And I think you're right. Looking at at laying the groundwork for who this character is going to be dipping into, you know, the 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 sternness of the character, the seriousness of the character, uh, but also showing some lightheartedness at various different times, um, you know, especially in that in the Legends episode and being able to show emotion when called upon uh, in the Metamorpho episode or, you know, it, it's 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 a dynamic performance from a dynamic actor who was tasked with really filling out a character that a lot of people didn't know. So you're you're creating ultimately what is going to be the performance that is whether he knew it or not is judged judged upon that character for the for the majority of the you know the next several decades because those kids like us that grew up listening or watching these cartoons are going to judge future John Stewart performances based on his performance that he gave as this character and uh, I gotta say they, there's, they, they got big shoes to fill and trying to fill that character so maybe that may be why we really haven't seen that character tried outside of uh, some of the other DCA uh, animated movies perhaps uh, you know tried tried to replicate because uh, it's it's a tall task he's a he's a legend he's a voice acting legend and this is certainly one uh, one of the tippy tops of his of his resume in my opinion and he's definitely somebody a a, a dream guest uh, reviewer <laughs> guest correspondent uh, that i would love to have on the podcast if we were uh, fantasy booking it here at uh, one day it would be great to have him on to review an episode with us fingers crossed but yeah that's uh i think that's about all that that we can possibly say about him and until you know next week when we have to talk about him again and then we'll try <laughs> we'll try it all over again but that's it's a good problem to have to have this many uh good performances by the same actor and and yes he's uh he's an absolute legend so uh, as we begin to wrap up we're not going to cover the whole swath of merchandise just because we want to save a little bit for for volume two of this when we cover maybe his his season two adventures but we will uh, mention that kyle actually in his superman the animated series look did get one piece of merchandise that being a dc direct slash dc collectibles uh maquette uh with uh, fr from superman the animated series was made of him uh that's that's the only piece it's funny that with all all these guest characters that got introduced in the in the second half of those Superman episodes, Kenner was kind of asleep at the wheel, huh? Unless they just could, didn't have the rights. But yeah. I know sometimes it can be they only have like character specific rights, but 
man, we didn't get any uh, any of those fun guest characters appearing in those lines. You would have figured they would because there was simultaneous Justice League or or Total Justice and all these other characterizations that were happening at the same time that included Justice mm-hmm. League characters, from my recollection. So yeah, it's it's a wonder that they didn't go, hey, let's uh, let's also make an Aquaman and a a Green Lantern and Legion of Superheroes and all these other fun characters instead of making thirty four Supermen in different <laughs> variations of his costume that never existed. But sure. Uh, I'm not a toy executive, and I guess that's uh, they they're far smarter than I am. They probably sold <laughs> they've they've definitely sold more toys in their lifetime than I have. So uh, <laughs> I can't put that on my resume. But yes, uh, disappointing. I, again, DC collectibles slash DC directs demise and not being, you know, they did one one set of Superman the animated series figures. You know, if they had gone outside of that and who's to say whether it was because that set didn't sell well or because they didn't know there was, I know uh, at some point rumors of, of them doing a, a second or a first series of Superman animated series figures. And uh, that unfortunately did not uh, come to fruition because of them shuttering the doors, but Hey, we could cross our fingers that maybe uh, Todd McFarlane and McFarlane toys dip their toes into uh into maybe working on some of those designs one day or if not uh, a future a future p- company uh, dropping some some of the the, the uh, superman the animated series specifically kyle rayner that version of kyle in plastic one day absolutely fingers crossed but uh thankfully where uh, where kenner maybe dropped the ball here we did not have such an issue with mattel when they got the Justice League license, we'll cover John's figures here. I believe he had uh, three of the uh, the regular size figure releases here. We have the the Series One, which is just sort of as we I think we talked about in the Hawk Girl Spotlight episode. He was one of the six that came out in that first set that had the the stand that spelled out Justice League. If you put them all together, mm-hmm. um, poor Shaira got left out of that first set, but uh, the lenticular but, card and I. Did he come with a lantern? I don't remember if he had the lantern or not. I th- I believe we might be looking at one of the the later ones that came with that because we okay. did have. So yes, we have that series one. Not a lot of accessories in that first set, but then we do have attack armor Green Lantern, which uh, at least came with a a sort of an energy bubble you could put him in. You had to pose the figure a very specific way because it was just two pieces of plastic with like clasps on it that you could clip together. But that's uh, I think that's one we also happened to pick up when we were uh, when we were kids. So we did have we did at least start to get some accessories here in this Justice League line. But uh, and then later on, we had the a set that I would not have remembered existed, the Cyber Trackers, which is just <laughs> like which is just like they're begging that JLU line to come out so they can <laughs> so they can stop having to release the same you know, six or seven characters over and over again in weird, weird costumes. We do have one more sort of deluxe edition Green Lantern there that uh, came with some some fancy accessories. And then, of course, like a lot of them, maybe arguably the best of all of, of these early Justice League, uh, regular Justice League Mattel releases, uh, the 12-inch figure is, is pretty darn great. Yeah, that's, uh, that's probably the best representation. All of those Justice League 12-inch figures uh, well, I guess they're they're a little bit smaller than twelve inch. They're like ten inch, I think. But ah. those those figures are all those are all tremendous sculpts, and uh, you know, were based on they were slightly articulated versions, from my understanding, of the Warner Brothers maquettes 
So they're based on just some incredible sculpts that were based on the turnarounds uh, from, from Bruce Tim and, and the, the original, I guess, drawings and storyboard artists that did the, the turnarounds for the, the series. So uh, they went right to the source material. And, and because of that, they're some of the most accurate and, and true, true to source figures that were made and produced. So yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, those, those are actually still relatively inexpensive. I encourage you maybe a couple of years ago, I went and got the whole collection for what amounted to less than a hundred dollars. So they look good. If you don't have a lot of room, they don't take up a ton of space. Also that whole Mattel collection can get really, really expensive, especially, and, and take up a lot of space based on the amount of figures they ended up releasing. But uh, if you're looking for a cool centerpiece for maybe your justice league collection or DCAU collection, those, uh, those 10 inch Mattel figures uh, are, are pretty easy to come by and, uh, and look pretty good sitting on a shelf. So uh, yeah, that green lantern is a good one. Also, he's a little shorter, I think than he should be. He's a little diminutive in my opinion, but Hey uh, it's uh, still a, a good looking figure overall. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that one's uh, yeah. I, I think those early Mattel ones, like I said, they really, and we'll certainly get to that in future volumes when we get into the justice league unlimited lines, they do end up ultimately nailing. I think most of at least the, the main justice leaguers, there's certainly some scaling issues with some other characters that we'll, we'll get to down the line. But, uh, but yeah, I think those are of those early, you know, just justice league branded Mattel figures. I definitely think that that 10 inch one stands out and the, uh, it's just for just for the likeness and, and how how spot on it is but yeah as far as the rest of the merch of course john did have several uh, statues maquettes as well as other uh, dc collectibles and eagle moss figurines and figures so we will cover those uh, more in depth in a future volume so we have some some extracurriculars to talk about next time as well but uh, yeah, overall, I think as we as we begin to look towards the end of this uh, this volume one, uh, it's a pretty as as we said a pretty strong start for for the Green Lantern. Even if the overall season one of Justice League is not fond as fondly remembered, uh, some pretty good strong moments for John and 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 Kyle as well, getting to uh, sort of kick us all off back in back in Superman. So uh, some some fun, a very fun trip down memory lane to some of our previous reviews and uh, some things to look forward to in the future as well. Absolutely. I definitely look forward to covering volume two, where we'll get into more of the Hawk Lantern storyline. We'll talk a little bit more about additional members of the Green Lantern Corps that are highlighted, including a love interest for John uh, from the past. So lots of stuff coming up uh, when we cover volume two in the uh, in the future at some point. So uh, lots of stuff to go on there in addition to all the merchandise and toys and things that we didn't cover, but I uh, had a lot of fun covering this one, Liam, definitely a character in John Stewart and the green lantern Corps that obviously are, are pretty well known as far as DC characters are concerned and uh, pretty pivotal to the latter half of the, the DCAU and, and, uh, and, and central to a lot of the storylines that happened in both the, the justice league and justice league unlimited. So well worth at least two volumes, if not, uh, if not more. So look, forward to covering another volume and uh glad to have been able to cover volume one with you absolutely cal these are always fun and we want to of course uh leave this out to our, our listeners our whether if you follow us on instagram or on twitter you can connect with us on both of those platforms at dcau review we want to hear what your favorite 
Green Lantern moment is from these early episodes? Is it Kyle's first appearance there in Superman, the animated series? Is it one of John's adventures throughout the first season of Justice League? If you have thought on, on figures or anything else, any of those other things, we didn't really touch on many of the, the tie-in comics. Another thing we'll probably save for a future volume there, but certainly John had some memorable appearances there as well. So we'd definitely love to hear what stands out to you among these early Green Lantern adventures and uh, definitely reach out to us again at DCAU Review and let us know what you think. Absolutely. You can follow us at DCAU Review on Twitter and Instagram. Interact with us. Liam, it's been a fun month. Been uh, been having a lot of fun covering these episodes with you. Uh, but uh, we are turning the calendar page, and that means we're, uh, we're headed to cover a new series starting next, uh, next week. That is right, Cal, and uh, we, we alluded to it uh, a couple times throughout this episode. But speaking of Phil Lamar, we have not visited the sunny skies of Dakota uh, too recently, and so we will be headed back to cover another month's worth of Static Shock episodes starting next week. Looking forward to doing that, Liam. Of course, uh, the good people can support us and, and subscribe to our podcast on, on different platforms as well. Absolutely. Uh, if you listen to us, whether it's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or any of those other podcast apps that you uh, that you may be using, if it gives you the ability to uh, to rate us and give us five stars or or leave us a review, we would certainly appreciate that. That does help us out a lot as far as getting our show bumped up in those all important algorithms that uh, control all of our lives. And uh, we would we would certainly appreciate you. We know that's a little bit of a, a time time commitment, but we do appreciate those that uh, that take the time to do that. And if, if you'd like to support us a bit more directly, you can visit dcaureview.com. We have a shop set up there where you could go pick yourself up a hat or a shirt or a mug or or what have you, a sticker, whatever whatever you can uh, whenever you can pick up whatever you'd like to pick up and can afford. Uh, we always appreciate that as well. And then as as we've mentioned, a free way to support us as, as well as also to not only follow us on our social medias at DCAU Review, but you can also subscribe to our, our YouTube channel. We are part of the Pod Tower YouTube channel, along with uh, our friends from the Watchtower database, as well as uh, our friends at Tim's Hawk also put content there. So uh, you could subscribe to us, give us a like, a favorite, and, and subscribe to that channel, help us and, and our friends that grow that way as well. We would appreciate however you choose to support us we uh, we always appreciate that and as we said we we love interacting with uh, with all of you and hopefully you will continue to interact with us as we move on from this month of justice league and head back to the sunny skies of dakota and, and visit the static shock in the month of may but that's next week and until then i'm liam and i'm cal we'll be back soon with another episode of the dcau review bye-bye